0: that we are um finishing today this series of messages on that i've titled community which are which are we're based on chapters 13 through 16 uh we're finishing that next week we're going to start looking at the passion which the passion if you don't if you're not aware it's it is the crucifixion of christ uh that's what has been called the passion forever but we'll talk about why it's called the passion and we'll talk about that next week so if you're curious you gotta come back but uh so we'll start that chapters 18 through 21, and that will conclude our, our study of the Gospel of John, except for chapter 17, you may be asking, well, you skipped 17, uh, and you're right, Well, we're going to come back to that after Easter, um, and there's a purpose for that. There's a method to our madness in that. Uh, so Easter is only a few weeks away. This is Lent, uh, the Lenten season. If you're not familiar with what Lent is all about, it's always been a season of preparation for the church for Easter. It, generally, it was uh, new Christians were baptized on Easter Sunday, and so Lent was a season of, of teaching them what it meant to be a Christian. Right? It was that forty day season. It was that it was just a season of preparation, and it was just forty days that, that we took to teach people what the gospel is all about, what what our, their faith stands for, what it what it means to our lives, to have Christ alive in us, and so that was that was that season, and we it would culminate on Easter Sunday. Uh, still does. Uh, for us, Lent is a season of, of preparing our hearts. You know, a lot of people may give up things or take on habits uh, during the Lenten season to, to move them closer to God. And if that's you, then I pray that, that whatever it is you are making a new habit or you're removing, if it's a, an old hang-up in your life that you are uh, focusing to, to remove from your life during this Lenten season, praise God. Uh, I ask that uh, you would be faithful to that and, and seek God to help you be faithful to that. But... Um, here in church today, we're going to, Lent should be a season of celebration. Uh, And you're going to, today we're going to talk about why that is. I just returned from Africa uh, eight days ago, I guess now. It's hard to believe it's been eight days, but um, I shared with you last week that I got the opportunity to watch a lot of movies. If you've ever flown cross country, you know that that's really all you have to do because you can't move in those seats. Uh, (laughs) All you can do is watch a movie after movie, after movie. Uh, Most of them I'd already seen, but a couple of them I hadn't. One that I had not seen that I watched a couple times on the flight was uh, Midway. I don't know if you've seen Midway or not, but it uh, it was a battle of Midway. It was made into a movie just recently, I think. Uh, My grandfather was in the Central Pacific, and and so I'd always heard a lot of stories about all these things. And so it was was powerful for me to to see it kind of connected to history and to see it kind of the arc of history and how this battle... Uh, played into the the outcome of the war. Um, I mean, if how close we were to losing that battle. Uh, you know, I didn't really appreciate that until I really saw it. And if we had, how that would have affected the continental United States. It really would have had a huge impact on us here. Um, I mean, we would have been attacked. Our mainland would have been attacked for sure. We didn't know at the time how close we were to losing even. Uh, but it was a reality great movie. Another movie that I saw that I've seen many times, and you've probably seen it too, Saving Private Ryan. Powerful story. Uh, the same uh, time period, you know, it was a World War II film. Uh, the, first, the beginning 15, 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan are probably the most powerful scenes of a movie that I've ever experienced. I mean, it's just, it's one of those movies that it just kind of throws you in the deep end, right? You just you just launched right into it, and you you spend the first 20 minutes trying to catch up. Like, what's... Like getting your mind around all the chaos and the death and destruction that's going on is a super powerful movie that <coughs> what they didn't know at the time, and just like in Midway, they didn't know the significance of that battle. Like we know looking back that, that because those two battles were won, they kind of sealed victory for the Allied forces in World War II. Those two battles were really the, the thing that, that swung the gate. For, for the allied forces. That, that, but at the time, they didn't know that. They were just fighting to survive, right? They didn't know that the, that when they won that and the battle they had next week was already taken care of because things had pretty much been set when they won those two battles. You may be wondering, what does that have to do with anything that we're talking about here today in the Gospel of John? It's a good question. Because, you see, I believe that if, if they had have known... Like, after D-Day, there were several battles. After Midway, there were several other battles. And if they had known that, that that thing we accomplished on Midway or that thing we accomplished on D-Day had already sealed the victory, how would that have changed the way they fought the battle the week after or the month after? Like, if they'd have known that, like, they didn't, they didn't know. They didn't know what the future held, Right? They were still fighting as if everything depended upon them. Hey, but, but the reality was it was kind of done. It was baked in already. It was already baked in. If they'd have known that they'd already been victorious, how would that have changed the way they fought? How would that have changed the way they saw their enemies? How would that have changed they, they, their posture, the way they slept at night, how they got up the next day, how they treated each other? If they'd known that their victory was sure, how would that change things? think about how that might apply for us as Christians, that the battles we face in life, if we knew that we were going to overcome them, if we knew that our battles with temptation was, was done, was defeated already, was already won, how would that approach, how would that change the way we approached our temptations? How would it change that? I mean, our battles with pride or selfishness, our struggles with being generous, if we knew that, that ultimately that was done, that was, that was overcome, my, my pride, my selfishness was overcome, how would that change the way I approached those struggles of my financial difficulties or, or my, my habits, my hang-ups, my temptations to sin? I believe that if the Allied forces had have known that the end was done, right, the end was secure, that it really would have changed the way they approached the Nazis in Germany or the Japanese soldiers. But what about us as Christians? If we knew that our victory was secure, shouldn't that change the way we approach life here on this side of it? That's what today's passage of Scripture is all about. See, we're here at the end of uh, the, the final discourse is what it's called. This is this powerful teaching of Jesus had with his disciples, it's kind of a, a small group of folk, and he's he's just explaining the rules to his kingdom. And his the rules to his kingdom is chiefly to love one another, as I have loved you, right? That that's how ev- the world is going to know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. That, that love for we have for each other is the thing that's going to make us different. That's the foundation to this new community that he's building. And that's what they've been struggling with, that in the midst of him giving this, them this command to love, he's also told them a lot of other bad news. A lot of other bad news. This Last Supper was was uh, an experience for them, right? It was an experience. They didn't know it was the Last Supper when they started. They just thought it was supper before Passover. And But Jesus told them that this is it. This is the end. He washed their feet, and they were all confused, like, why are you washing my feet? And then, then he, he told them that he was leaving them, and that got them all frustrated, and, and they didn't understand, That what, what do you mean you're leaving, and we can't come with you? And, and then, then he says, then one of you is going to betray me, and that kind of makes them angry, like, what are you talking about, one of us, we never betray you. And so you just combine this, this confusion and this frustration and this, this anger and, and it just kind of like stirs in them and throughout this whole conversation that Jesus has. If you look through your Bible and if your Bible has like the red words of Jesus and the black words of everybody else, right? You see most of it is red, but every now and then there's a, this little black little, a couple of little lines and it's always in there that, that they're asking questions like, where are you going? Why are you leaving? What's going on? What happened? Why is this... The, what, what what All these questions of... Of fear that they have, and it's in that that as this as this turmoil kind of stirs in them that it, they come to a reality that Jesus is going to die, and it turns to sorrow. In chapter sixteen, Jesus describes it that way: that their that their fears turn to sorrow when they come to grips with the idea that yeah, Jesus is going to die. But I'm going to fast forward to verse thirty-three, the very last verse in the chapter. Because I think that's what Jesus was trying to get at for the whole thing. He said in verse 33, I've told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world, he says. And because I've overcome the world, you can have peace in this. It may not make sense to you, but I have overcome this is what the celebration was supposed to have been about. When Jesus came into town in Jerusalem, they, they hailed him as the king. You remember he rode in as a donkey, and they put, put the palms on the ground, and, and they said, oh, the king is here, the king is here, right? This is what it was supposed to be. He was supposed to be the overcomer. But here in, this, in the last couple of chapters, all he's been telling them is all this, the world's going to hate you, they're going to turn away from you, they're going to kill you, all this stuff, all this bad news that he's been throwing on them. It doesn't sound like, it doesn't look like Jesus is much of an overcomer in the passage. It really doesn't, because an overcomer shouldn't be worried about death, right? But Jesus says, I have overcome the world. I mean, even today, if we were to look around the world, we wouldn't... I mean, you're tempted to think, too, has Jesus really overcome this world? I mean, all the death, destruction, disease, unfaithfulness, the, the, the rampant crime, corruption that's in the world? Has Jesus really overcome anything? I mean, we've got to be honest, We're, we're, we're tempted to question that. But Jesus says, I have overcome the world. He invites us to believe this and to live in his victory, he says. Live into my victory. See, Jesus knew what was going to happen to them. He knew what was going to happen to him. And he wanted to he wanted those things to encourage them and not to make them fear not to make them turn away from their faith. He wanted them he wanted when the bad things happen, I want you to lean into it. I want you to be be affirmed that, that that's supposed to happen. That's for your good. That's for your faith. But let us face it. When we get in a jam, when we get in hard times, what do we think? God, where are you? God, like, did you really plan? Like, God, you didn't plan this. Surely, you didn't plan this. I'm not supposed to get that illness, right? That's not. I'm not supposed to go through this, right? We, we question God's. <laughs> does God know what He's doing? Like, I got married for better or worse, not for this, right? Like, like, what happened? See, Jesus wanted his disciples to experience confirmation when hard times came. And so he told them ahead of time, hard times are coming. <laughs> and when they do come, I told you so. Right? I told you it beforehand. We need to understand, as, as followers of Jesus, we need to expect difficulties. And not be shocked when they come, but to say they're supposed to. Life is not supposed to be that great in this world because it's broken. This world is broken. But Jesus offers it like a wise counsel. You know when you get advice from somebody? You ask somebody, like, how do you do this? And they tell you, and you say, all right, I'm going to go try it that way. And you go and try it, and by George, it works. And so the next time you need advice, you're pretty tempted to go back to that same person, right? Because, hey, they seem to know what they're talking about, right? That's what Jesus is trying to show them, that that I know what I'm talking about here. I know You can trust me on this. I know what I'm talking about. And so he says in verse 1, of chapter 16, he says, All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. They're going to kick you out of society, as it were. You're going to be nothing in, in our community. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are doing service, they're offering a service to God. <laughs> See, they think they're doing the right thing. They'll do such things because they've not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about it. See, he wants wants when the bad things come, he wants wants the light bulb to go off in their head and say, shh, he told me this was happening. He told me this was going to happen. This is what he was talking about. That's what he wants his disciples to think, to be prepared. Because in the moment, it's overwhelming. And and granted, right now for the disciples, they're overwhelmed. I mean, Jesus is telling them, you're going to die. And the people who do it are going to get glory from it. But what I'm telling you is that's not it. That's not the end. I mean they, they, they become sorrowful because Jesus is gonna die. Everything they've lived for these last three years is all for nothing. Have you ever had things not work out the way you expected? Yeah, you know, yeah, somebody has. <laughs> I think we I think we all have, right? We've all had a, something in life that eh, wasn't I wasn't plan, planning for that. Right? That's what they're experiencing right here. They expected Jesus to come in and take over, to reset the nation of Israel, to, to set them free from the bondage of Rome, to, to, to give them a new religion, a new faith. That's what they expected out of Jesus. Not that Jesus was going to die, not that they were going to die, but that things were going to be made new, to be made right. It's like all they'd done for the last years was for nothing. That broke the heart of the disciples. Broke their heart. When uh, before I went to Africa, my wife asked me, "Why are you going?" I said, "That's a good question, Michelle. I think I think we'll talk about that later." No. <laughs> uh, amen. Amen. No, I, I told her. I said, "I want to experience what's going on over there." Because, you know, you read in the paper, and if you're a pastor, you hear a lot about uh, the church in Africa is just exploding. Like people are just, I mean, it's, it's a powerful place to be. You know, it's like the ground floor of where God is moving in this world. And, and, um, and I wanted to go and see it. I wanted to go and experience it and pray that I could bring some of that back. I could go over and catch something, not coronavirus, but something else. I could go and catch something and bring it back here for Rock Hall. That's, that was my desire. I went to see a church on fire, and what I found when I got there was a flicker. What I found was not what I was looking for. You know, what I found was a mess. And I said, that looks a lot like home. (laughs) But in that mess, in that, like, not what I expected at all, in that, God spoke clearly. Clearly to me. A revelation, much like what the disciples are getting right here, much like this. Matter of fact, then Jesus says in verse seven, "Very truly I tell you, it's good that I'm going away." They've got their minds have got to be blown. Like you are out of your mind, Jesus. It's not good that you're leaving. He says, "It's good for me to go away because unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Advocate is is just another word that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit of God to come and." to come and take his place in us right but that's what that's why it's better that jesus would go away that the holy spirit would come why is that better because I, if i were to ask you if you could have any, if you could meet anyone in church today anyone in history most of you would probably say, well i'd probably like to meet jesus in church today. And yeah, who wouldn't right but jesus says it's better that i'm not here why is that several reasons some he talks about but but the one that first one that came to my mind is that jesus is bound to flesh just like you you can be in one place at one time you can you think you can multitask but all you're doing is switching tasks all you can really do is one thing at a time right the, the, the flesh does that to us we can't be everywhere the spirit of god though in genesis remember it talks about the spirit of god hovered over the face of the earth the spirit of god was everywhere the spirit of god is not bound to our limitations so in one way, Jesus said, it's better for me to leave because I can only have one conversation with one person. But the Spirit of God can be everywhere all at once. But that's, that's pretty amazing in my mind when I think it that way. But that's not what Jesus said was why it's better for him to leave. Jesus said, I'm going to send the Spirit. I'm going to send the Spirit and it's going to, it's going to be another reason. He actually gave two reasons why it's better for him to leave and the Spirit to come. Verse 8, he says, And when he comes, the Spirit of God, the the advocate, he will convict, convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. You see, Jesus will send the Spirit to convict the world. To convict the world concerning righteousness and judgment. You see, that's our, that's our sin. It's my sin. That's your sin. That's His righteousness that He's going to convict the world of and, and Satan's ju- ultimate judgment that He's going to convict the world. And these, This may not sound like a great thing, but think about it. You, you, when you become a Christian, you are convicted of those things. You were convicted of your sin. You were convicted of the righteousness of God. You were convicted of, like, there's going to be a price to pay for that. The Spirit of God convicted you of that, not someone. No one one convinced you, right? People don't don't get convinced. People who who think they're good people, they don't get convinced that they're actually bad. People who are convinced that this world is all I have to live for. They, you can't convince them that there's hell waiting if they don't trust Christ. Like you can't, you can't convince somebody. You can't argue someone to church or anywhere. I mean, you might be able to force them or or guilt them or something, but it's not gonna it's not gonna change their heart. Have you ever been able to change someone's heart? Now, husbands, relax. But but no one can change you. I mean, yeah, you can kind of keep you somebody until they you know they, they come around but but you haven't changed their heart right what changes their heart the spirit that convicts that's what God says that's what Jesus says right here it's the spirit that does that you can't you can't you know you, you can't nag your spouse into loving Jesus. It don't work. It doesn't work. You can't nag your coworker into changing their heart. You can't it doesn't work that way we talk about sharing our faith inviting people to church and the best we can do the best that we can do is is to possibly put pe- get people into a place where they encounter the Holy Spirit it's the best thing we can do is, is bring them along to share our story so that they so that the spirit kind of has some, some fertile ground to work in their life they can hear a story of what, what God did in my life and and my, my story isn't going to change anybody, but what it might do is invite people to think about their own life, and the Spirit begins to work in that. But I can't save anybody. I've shared with you before that that I, I came to Christ. I was, I was convicted. I was convinced by my son, by, by the Holy Spirit working through my son when he was a baby. I was convicted that I was the wrong kind of role model for my son. I was convicted of that. But, you know, I I knew that I didn't want my son to grow up thinking that a a drinking dad, a cussing dad, a smoking dad, like like a hanging out all the time dad was not the role model for him. I I didn't want that. I mean, I enjoyed it personally, but I didn't want that for my son, right? But that wasn't my thinking. That was the Holy Spirit kind of did that in me. The Holy Spirit convicted that of me. And I'll tell you that I, I went to bed one night doing all of those things, and I woke up the next day and I was free from them. I, I didn't have a desire for them. And I don't know what God has delivered you from. I pray He's delivered you from something. But if you're a follower of Jesus and He's set you free from a, a, a habit or a struggle in your life, it is all the more reason why we cannot look down on anybody, anybody who struggles with stuff in their life. People have hang-ups, people have hurts, people have are broken. And and I've got no right to say, oh, well, you should just stop doing that. Like, yeah, that's easy. I'll, and I'll be honest with you, that, that God removed that desire from my life. I didn't do it. I mean, I know people who have struggled with addictions for years and, and can't get over it. Well, they don't believe they can, but I, I believe the Holy Spirit can get them over it. But But I don't don't believe that we as a church have a way to say, you know, what you need to do is just stop, right? Because I didn't do that in my life. So I'm not going to point the finger at somebody. You might, but I'm not going to point the finger at somebody because I didn't just stop. He took the desire from me. And I pray that for him. And I pray that for you if you're struggling with stuff, that, that God would take that from you. And I know it's possible because it happened to me. It happened to me. The Spirit of God moved in my life, convicting me of the of the things that I was living for were not the things He wanted me to live for. The places, the people that I spent time with were not the people and the places He wanted me spending my time. The things that I'd given my heart to were not the things that He wanted me to give my heart to. And that changed my life. The Spirit did that. Convicts us of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. The Spirit does that. But that's not all. The Spirit just doesn't convict you and leave you. No, the Spirit does some more. Verse 13. When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify Me, because it is from Me that He will receive what He will make known to you. I've overcome the world, Jesus says. The Spirit's going to show you that overcoming. The Spirit's going to lead you to overcoming, because... I'm going to show you through Him that your life is- can be different because the Spirit is going to lead you. The Spirit is going to lead you. And that's why it's better that Jesus goes away, that the Spirit would come and lead each of us. Promising His disciples that I'm going to show you, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to be with you. So the Spirit reveals your calling. The Spirit reveals to you you're gifting. The Spirit teaches you how to love people you don't like. The Spirit teaches you how to serve people that you feel like are taking advantage of you. The Spirit teaches you to be generous when, when you're not sure there's going to be enough. The Spirit does those things. That trip to Africa, uh, I, I went expecting to experience something. And what I found there was a church and a pastor who wanted to experience the same things I was looking for. That needed to experience the power of God. Because things were stagnant. It was a... The the culture is about 80% Muslim, but you wouldn't know it by spending time there. Uh, 20-30% Christian, and the rest is Muslim. But but you wouldn't know it. uh, Because... Nobody really believes much of anything in the village we were in. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, the Christians built the mosque, <laughs> which was strange. Like, okay, all right, you guess you got to build something, I guess. So the Christians got together and built the mosque for the, the Muslims in the community. So they get along fine, like neighbors. There's no conviction. Because I assure you that if the Christians were converting Muslims, then they wouldn't be getting along so well, Right? But in the village where we were, there was no no need to believe anything. It was just kind of like Rock Hall. (laughs) Just kind of like Rock Hall. I kid you not. That was exactly my thought, is that you don't really have to believe anything here. Everybody loves everybody, and everybody gets along, and nobody really pushes anybody's envelope. and, And it's like, yeah. Is the church following the Spirit's leading? I don't know. So we prayed. We spent time praying. And we prayed a lot. And that's what I brought home. That we need to pray. And I need to pray. And you need to pray. To be connected. To what God is trying to do. To listen to the Holy Spirit. To teach you. To lead us. To guide us. See, Jesus didn't say that the Spirit might come and show you some things. No. No. Because the Spirit will lead you into all truth. All truth. Jesus is sending the Spirit into the world to convict the world, but to lead His disciples, to guide His disciples. And that is fantastic news, but that's not the good news. The good news is yet to come. Jesus, in verse 19 and 20, you see, He told the disciples, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back, and... They're like, what what do you mean you're leaving and you're coming back? Like, why leave? You're just going to turn around and come back. And Jesus said, he, he knew that they were questioning this, so in verse 19 he says, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. See, Jesus is promising here that that he would return to them as proof that all he had promised was true. That he would turn their true grieving into real joy as they would see his victory over everything that the world could throw at him, even death. You see, Jesus was coming back. And and he will return again. And that will be the proof of the thing that we believed in him for the disciples. His coming back would would eventually lead when Jesus is telling them this they don't understand it right they don't completely get it but but that would turn his return to them would lead to an unquenchable joy a joy that they couldn't unremember like we all know what 2 plus 2 is right have you ever struggled with knowing what 2 plus 2 is no you you can't unlearn that right it's the same thing with Jesus you can't unlearn that experience of him in your life Their problems were real. In fact, for the disciples, all of them, almost all of them, pretty much every one of them, would die a torturous death. All of them. All of these guys in the upper room. But their hope didn't rest in their lives here on earth. Their hope rested in the resurrection of Jesus, the one they would see in just a few hours. See, that allowed them to live beyond the right now. What was their immediate environment? What was going on in their life? They were able to live beyond that. Even though they didn't realize it yet, but in a few days they would see Him resurrected and they would be joyous about it. Because He's alive. He was dead and He's alive. And that changed everything. That changes everything. You get a joy that flows from faith that is not like any other joy. It gives them faith that allows them to have hope no matter the circumstances. And so they would see they would see their lives change because of this. They would see and if you and if you believe that Jesus is alive, your life is changed. Like you can't see the world the way you used to. Like I said last week, you're different. Everything changes. 1 John 4 4, he says, Dear children are Dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you. Is greater than the one who's in the world. The one that's alive in you, as a as a disciple of Jesus, the Spirit is greater than the world. Joy is rooted in this hope. Joy is rooted in this hope, and it's not a hope like hoping a prayer, like really I'm hoping and praying that this really happened. No, it's not that kind of hope. It's it's a hope in something that's already happened. It's hoping something that's already like how do you hope in something that's already happened? Like that victory of the in in World War Two, if they had known that the victory that they had on D Day was really sealed the deal for World War Two, that like what would that have? How would that have changed their battle next week? Romans eight eleven says, "If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, because the Spirit who lives in." you the spirit alive in you you see we are victors when we surrender our lives to christ we our victory is in christ we stand victorious just as he did the war is won even though we have battles to fight and if you're fighting a battle with with anything in life i encourage you to give everything you've got knowing that knowing that it's enough with christ it's enough whatever you've got if all you've got is a six on a scale of one to ten right if, if all you've got is a six, with Jesus, it's enough. If all you've got is a three, with Jesus, it's enough. It's enough. It allows us to live with boldness that wasn't available to us before. We can have confidence in this life, not like we used to have. We can love our neighbor in extravagant ways, even though we don't know there's going to be enough in the budget for us, right? We can do church in ways we've never thought of because, hey, this is his idea. I mean, his promise is that the gates of hell will never prevail against this. His church. And I don't mean a building, I mean his people. That's why the disciples rejoiced in persecution. That's why they, they celebrated in times of affliction. That's why they, in times of trouble, they, they rejoiced. Because God was victorious. No matter how bad it was, they knew Jesus wins. They knew jesus wins so let me ask you how big are your problems how big are your problems i mean i know some of you've got big problems i'm not diminishing that at all i'm not saying that your problems aren't significant don't don't hear what i'm not saying right but in compare but the fact of the matter is that regardless of how big your problem is jesus has won we get to live in two worlds Instead of letting the devil discourage you with thoughts that there's no hope, or that you can't overcome that, or that you've never been able to beat that, and you probably never will, instead of like those are the words of Satan. I do believe that that's the struggles of life may be attacking you from every side, and and you don't even know which way to turn. But I encourage you to grab hold of the truth that Jesus is proclaiming here: that I have overcome the world, and and with Him alive in you, with you connected to Him, you can overcome the world too. You can. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that that you overcome. I thank you, Lord, that, that you make real life possible. God, I ask you that as we prepare to receive Holy Communion today, God, that you would use this encounter with you to change us. God, to to convict, to convince. God, to to bless us with a confidence and a boldness to live this life with reckless abandon, the way the world would consider it. God, but we can be fools for Christ. We can literally walk with our head in in the clouds believing you are more than enough Lord I ask that you would meet us here as we share in this gift of Holy Communion Lord as we we receive your grace into our lives in a real and a practical way Lord that you use this to prepare us for what you have next whatever that is Use it to strengthen our faith, our confidence in Your victory that we can fight the next battle with boldness, with strength, with love. We praise You, God. Amen.